Chodesh Tov. <clears throat> Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir in Chaya Moharan. It's Rosh Chodesh Sivan, getting ready for the big holiday of Shavuos. In today's Shir, we're going to be covering some stories that have very powerful, clear explanations to them, and some stories that we don't know the interpretation. Rav Nassazal has included them in Chaya Moharan, well, knowing that he didn't know an interpretation for certain dreams that Rabbeinazal had that Rabbeinazal told over him. Obviously, this is all Torah, and the, the Gemara tells us that what a person learns in this world and they don't understand, they'll be able to understand it in the next world. So we look forward to getting clarity on everything in the in the future world. We dedicate today's learning, Leila Nishmas, David Yisroel Brevafroyim, whose yard site is today on Rosh Chodesh Sivan, and Lila Nishmas Yentafradal Bas Rabbi Shuarye, Harini Kaporas Mishkova. And for Rafu Shalema, for all those that need it. Rav Nosenzal writes, and unless we say differently, whatever we're quoting is the wording of Rav Nosenzal in Chaim Aran, that Rabbeinazal told him that it, when he was a child, he, he was in the habit of eating a lot. And this caused him tremendous suffering. And he got rid of it. And then he saw afterwards that even the little bit that he was eating, he still had taiva. It was still a desire for the food. So he decided to go back to eating regular. Because what's the difference if, I, if I'm eating a little with taiva or a lot with taiva? Why should I just cause suffering on my body? Why should I destroy my body? And he put all of his desires, the, all of his desires into eating. He gathered up all the different desires people have, different likes that they have. He focused it all on eating. Once he was sitting at his father-in-law's table, during Suda Shlishit on Shabbos, which is the holiest time of the week. Now remember, he got married at the age of 13 and he left his father-in-law's table at the age of 18. And he sat in a corner and it was dark in the house. Remember, we're talking during a time where there's no electricity, there's candle lighting. And very often by the end, towards the end of Shabbos, it was dark in the room. And Rabbeinazal did his thing, his tefillah, his avodas Hashem, secretly. And he began pleading with Hashem, begging Hashem to show him the avodasakdashim, that he wants to see Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And he promised Hashem that if you'll show me the avodasakdashim, I'll throw this away also, this desire for eating, the taiva for eating, I'll, I'll get rid of it completely. And Rabbeinu Zal did what he did, he said. He did whatever he had to do about this. And he went into this with full, full, full force. And he fell asleep. And his grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, came to him in a dream. And he said to him, the Pasuk, in Kriyashma, V'nosati Esev b'sodcho levhemtecho. That Hashem says, if you'll be good, you'll do the right thing. I'll provide 
grass in the fields for your animals. And Rabbi Nassau woke up and it was incredible to him, what's the connection between this Pasuk to what he was pleading for? <clears throat> and he remembered that in the Tikkun Zohar, chapter 21, one of the deepest, one of the long, deep chapters of the Tikkun Zohar, it's brought there, it quotes a different Pasuk that uses the word Esev, and there the Tikkun Zohar says that the word Esev is made up of three letters, <clears throat> Ayin, Beis, Shin, and the Tikkun Zohar says, and, and Rabbein Asal thought that the letters Ayin, Beis, stand for bat ayin, the pupil of the eye, which is the main part of the eye with which a person sees. And the letter shin is used many times to represent, the shin has three heads, heads to it, gimel roshin, to represent the three avos, Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. And Rabbeinu Sal thought that this is a message to him, that if you want to be able to see the Avoisaktoishin, it's impossible for you to be able to, other than besodcha livhemtecha. The word sodcha means field, and leshadet means to destroy, to get rid of, to eliminate. You have to get rid of the animal inside of you. You have to get rid of the taivasachila, that physical desire for food. And Rabbi Nezal said he, he, got, he decided to get rid of it completely, to overcome it completely, and he did. He was successful. <coughs> Rabbi Nezal makes mention of this in a chapter on Likut Imran also, towards the beginning of Likut Imran, one of the 40s, <coughs> chapter 39, actually, in Likut Imran, I believe. Interestingly, Reb Nachman Shirin now writes, he's the one who compiled, who organized the Chaim Aran, which was written by Reb Nosazal, but Reb Nachman Shirin gathered it together and actually published it. And he writes that I heard that Reb Nissen Kavler, one of the great close students of the Rebbe Reb Baruch, who was a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, the famous Rebbe Reb Baruch, was once he ah, he he once told the the Trovitzamagid that he once came to Reborachzal Reborach and he saw that he was very very depressed and he asked him what what's wrong what's what's so terrible and Reborach told him <clears throat> that it's been a while that I haven't seen the Baal Shem Tov, And whenever I come to his kever, he's not there. And now recently I saw him and I asked him, what, what changed, what's going on? And he told me that he's by Reb Nachman now. That he's, he's taken himself to Reb Nachman. This is again an incredible statement we know that Rabbeinazal, when you read about Rabbeinazal's life, the incredible, intense tefillah that Rabbeinazal poured out, the, the rivers of tears pleading with Hashem to come close to Hashem, and the times that he went to the Kevra of the Baal Shem Tov with Mesiras Nefesh 
in snow and all kinds of different times <clears throat> to get to where he got to. There's the famous story with Reboruch Mezhebazal. I don't believe we had this yet, <clears throat> that, that uh, first of all, at Rabbeinazal's bris, uh, Rabbeinazal's mother, Fega, Zichron of Rocha, pleaded with her brother, give the baby a bracha, that there shouldn't be any machloikis against him. And Reboruch said, that I can't do implying that he understood that this was going to be a this was going to be an issue. <clears throat> and then years later, when Rabbeinazal <clears throat> was, I believe, this was after Rabbeinazal's bar mitzvah, but certainly during his teenage years, he once he once was in conversation with his uncle Reboruch, <clears throat> and Reboruch was testing him and asking him, you know, what level are you? What do you know? And he said, do you know this? He said, yes. Do you know this? Yes. Do you know this? Yes. And he went further and he said, so then you've, you've already reached the level of this tzaddik. And he said, yes. And he said, what about this tzaddik? And he said, yes. And then he said to him, what about the Balshantoid? And he said, yes, at my bar mitzvah, that was when I reached that level. And Raborach got so angry, got very upset at him, Reboruch was known as a captain. He was known as somebody who, was, who could get angry easily. And Reboruch, they were, they were on some kind of a second floor. And Reboruch pushed Rabbeinazal where he could have fallen and, and hurt himself in a big way. And Rabbeinazal's mother came and saved him at the time, caught him at the time. But, but Rabbeinazal was honest with him. And, and at that time, from that time on, there was distance between them. Raboruch also had a major issue with the Balatanya, major stories about it. Raboruch was known for kapdonus. He was strict. He was a tzaddik, but again, a tzaddik with a different type of nature. Any questions? The next item, Rav Nosenzal writes, on a Monday, on the 24th of Eor, the last year of Rav Nosenzal's life, of Kufayin in Uman, Rav Nosenzal was already in Uman, Rav Nosenzal had, had arrived in Uman in the beginning of Eor, two weeks, two, three weeks earlier. <clears throat> Rav Nosenzal told me a dream that he had that night, and in the dream, he said he saw a wedding, and Rabbi Nassau decided, went to the wedding also. And he said he knew the name of the chassan. And he looked, and he saw that there was a person there who had already passed away, a person from the next world. And Rabbi Nassau was surprised, and he said to him, wow, if people there see this person, <clears throat> there's going to be an incredible commotion. And Rabbi Nassar said he knew the name of the person who had passed away also. And he said that the, na the name of the chassan and the name of the person passed away are not just their ordinary names, but their names that allude to certain, what level they have, a certain level in holiness, just like the names of Hashem. Each name represents a different character trait of Hashem. Then, 
the people that were at the wedding saw this person that had passed away. And Rabbi Nezal said, I spoke to the people there and I said to them, this person is somebody who passed away already. And they said, so what? And they didn't seem surprised at all. Afterwards, Rabbi Nezal said, I decided to go to a shul and that over there I could get a better view at the, at the whole wedding. <clears throat> so I went around and he motioned with his finger how he went around, all the way around, and he came to a shul and they were singing there. <clears throat> at the place where the chuppah was, they were singing to the chassan and they were singing, Ein Bachar is there, Ein Chassan is there. He's such a Bachar, he's such a chassan. And Rabbi Nezal said, I know the song that they were singing. It was a beautiful song, a song of joy. So I was looking there from the shul. And then afterwards, I didn't feel comfortable over there either. So I went to my house. <clears throat> I come into my house and I see the chassan is lying there on the ground. So I woke him up. I shook him and I woke him up. And I said to him, all the people are singing to you over there and you are sleeping over here? And Rav Nosenzal says, we have no idea what to make of this. And then Rav Nosenzal commented that this is obviously something very strange, that they're singing to him, celebrating this major celebration, and he's sleeping. <clears throat> and Rav Nosenzal said that in the dream, it seemed to him that the place where the shul was had a different name, and the place where he went to over there to his house had a different name. And then Rabbi Nezal said he knew, but he forgot. And Rabbi Nezal says, I'm not sure whether it was the nigan that he knew and forgot, or it was the names of these places, the shul and the house that he forgot. <clears throat> but Rabbi Nezal said there were other things that he saw during that dream also. We know that 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 Sadiqim, the Gemara speaks about dreams at length, and Sadiqim had dreams where their dreams were very, very meaningful. The, the Gemara has, the, the Torah has a whole parsh, a major parsha, Parshas Miketz, which is based on Paroi's dream. And Yosef at Sadiq told him that because you are a leader, your dream, when you dream, you're not dreaming for yourself personally, your dream affects a country. We could imagine Lahavdil. Lahavdil, when a tzaddik dreams, <clears throat> it's not a personal thing. It's more something that relates to the whole Klaus Yisrael. Any question? Ravnosa writes. A short comment, <clears throat> interesting, this is related to chapter 65 in Likut Imran, which is based on Rus, which we're going to be reading about now on the holiday of Shavuos, <clears throat> which is coming, this coming Thursday night, Friday, is going to be Shavuos. In Chutz Laretz, it'll be Friday, Shabbos. And we read Megillah's Rus, and there's so much written about about Megillah's Rus, the incredible depth in, in that Megillah, the whole story about <clears throat> how, how the, the, uh, the uh, 
Naomi and her husband leave Eretz Yisrael, and as a result, their two sons pass away, and their, <clears throat> their sons were married to Orpah and Rus, and from Orpah comes Goliath, the, the, the leader of the, the leading giant, the force, the power behind the Philistines, and from Rus, Lahavdil, comes Dovod HaMelech Moshiach, and how the whole story evolves, an incredible story with incredible depth. And how we read about her coming close to Yiddishkeit, this person who was not, not Jewish at all. <clears throat> and yet, and despite Naomi telling her, you don't need this, go back to your nation. She was a, a, a daughter of a king. <clears throat> and she says, nothing, nothing in the world will separate me from you. And she so, shows such an incredible loyalty. And with that loyalty, she overcomes all obstacles. And she zoichah that she zoichah to marry Boyaz. And from her, Boyaz was a tremendous tzaddik. <clears throat> and from their union comes forth the, the chain from which Dovod HaMelech and Moshiach would come. And in that chapter on the Kutimran, Rabbi Nezal reveals incredible deep things. So Rabbi Nezal said that every Torah, every shir that he gives, has a story related to it. And he began to tell a story related to this chapter on Likut Imran. <clears throat> and he said, Asus had a daughter. Asus is chutzpah. Asus had a daughter and sent the daughter to go draw water with a pitcher. And then Rabbi Nassau refused to continue the story <clears throat> because he had already said the Torah. <clears throat> he didn't say anything further on it. In the, in the story there, we see the, the interaction between Boyaz and Rus, <clears throat> how she needs food, and he provides food for her. And he says to her also, to drink water. When you're thirsty, take whatever water you want. There's obviously a connection there. <clears throat> that chapter on the Kutimran is one of the fabulous stories on the Kutimran, where Abenazal reveals incredible things. If a person has a chance to learn that between now and Shavuos or on Shavuos, it's a tremendous privilege. Next, Rabnosazal writes, I heard <clears throat> from one of Rabbeinazal's students that Rabbeinazal told him once on Erev Yom Kippur, after Kaporus, Kaporus is the custom <clears throat> where we take a chicken and turn it around the head. We say special tefillos to say that this chicken will, will, go, will be killed in place of me, if I deserve the death penalty, chas v'shon, for any sins that I committed, ze chalifosi, ze kaporosi, ze tmurosi. <clears throat> this is a, a famous, an ancient custom in the Ashkenaz world that's performed either with a chicken or with money. And, and there's a special chapter, a piece of Tehillim that's said with it, special words that are said with it that have special names of Hashem. So Rabbi Nezal told the story that he saw <clears throat> that he was going in a forest and the forest was vast with no end in sight whatsoever. And he wanted to turn around and go back. And somebody came to him and said to him that in this forest, there's no way in the world 
to get to the end of it. Because this forest is endless. And all the vessels in the world, all the kalim in the world, are all made from this forest. <clears throat> and this person showed him a path how he could get out of the forest, how he could leave the forest. Afterwards, he came to a river and he wanted to get to the end of the river. <clears throat> and again, he saw a person who said to him the same thing, that this river, there's no way in the world to get to the end of it because it's endless. And all people in the world drink from the waters that come from this river. And this person again showed him a path. Afterwards, he came to a mill, a large mill that grounds wheat or grain that was near the river. And a person came to him and said to him that this mill grinds grains for the entire world. Afterwards, he went back to the forest and he saw a blacksmith <clears throat> that was sitting there doing his work. And they told him that this blacksmith is the one who makes kalim, all types of kalim for the entire world. And Ramos Nizal says, this is very, very hidden. And also, unfortunately, it wasn't written properly because a lot of what was related to this was forgotten. It wasn't written down at the time that the person heard this. And Rabbi Nezal said then that the world tells a story and I saw a story. And Rabbi Nezal is a short feeler. Hashem should give us the privilege to be able to understand Rabbi Nezal's awesome holy words. <clears throat> now we come to some of the items that have we have a little more clarity on. During the month of Elul, Rabbi Nezal told that he had a dream where he wanted to enter <clears throat> into a certain house to hear the shofar. He went past a house and he heard that they were singing there and clapping hands and dancing tremendously and, and happy, celebrating, jumping up and down, beautiful dancing, like people who have a major celebration. And they were very, very happy there. So I said to myself, this is definitely a good place to go to hear the shofar. <clears throat> and the rest, I don't remember. And then somebody said, that this Rabbi said, the rest I don't remember. So one of Rabbi Nezal's students who was there spoke up and said that this is alluded to in, in, the, in Rabbi Nezal's Sefer, Likut Emran, that the mitzvah of shoifer is related to clapping hands and dancing. Rabbi Nezal has a chapter in Likut Emran, chapter 10, <clears throat> where he speaks about when there are harsh judgments against the Jewish people, one of the best ways that we can mitigate, that we can sweeten these judgments is by clapping hands and dancing. And Rabbi Nezal gives a beautiful explanation <clears throat> showing what the hands represent, what the feet represent. And he quotes the Zohar Kodesh there, which we'll, we'll mention soon, where the Zohar Kodesh says, <clears throat> Betrua de'ihu rucha 
is aver kel acher kfirus, with the trua, the sound of the trua, the sound of the shoifar, which also, which is wind, which is breath, the, the wind that goes through the shoifar, with that ruach, we're able to remove the sitra achra, kel acher, kfira, denial of Hashem. <clears throat> and and Rabbeinus, I'll show there that this power, the power to dance and clap hands, is also coming from this same ruach, as the Zohar Kodesh says, v'hayhi rucha noshiv b'shis pirkin d'droyim u'b'shis pirkin d'raglim, that it's this holy spirit of Hashem that rests on the six joints of the hands and the six joints of the feet. The hands are divided into three parts, the wrist, the hand portion, the arm, and then from the elbow up to the shoulder, and the feet also. You have the, from the thigh down to the knee, from the knee down to the ankle, and then the, the lower portion. And Rabbi Nassau expounds on this over there in chapter 10 in Likutei Moran. So Rabbi Nassau nodded with his head, you're right, you're right, that there is a definite connection between simcha, this simcha of clapping hands and dancing, and the sound of the shofar. <coughs> Afterwards, Rav Nassau writes, Hashem gave, put the thought into my mind that there's a pasuk where we, we can see that shofar is related to singing and joy. The pasuk can tell him, oz yimole schoik pinu ul that then when Mashiach will come, our mouths will be filled with joy and our tongues with song. And the first letters of Schoik Pino Ulshaneno Rina spell the word Shoifar. So Shoifar <clears throat> has, has this Schoik Pino, this laughter and this song, this joy. And then also, after that, the Pasuk says, Ashrei Ha'omi Yoide Serua. Fortunate is the nation who knows the sound of the shofar when, when after the baltokea, when the baltokea is preparing to blow the shofar, he recites, I'm sorry, after the baltokea blows the first sounds of the shofar, the first 30 sounds, he recites certain psukim. The chazans recite certain psukim. He recites the posuk, Ashrei ha'omi yoide serua. Fortunate is the nation who knows the sound of the shorua. And then afterwards, b'shimcha yegilun kol hayoyim. Hashem, we will rejoice with your name all day. We see the connection. Those two psukim are recited side by side. And Rav Nassar says, take a look in chapter 175 on the Kutimran, where Rav Nassar says that the, the first letters of that passage, b'shimcha, yegilun, kol hayoyim, make up the word b'chia, crying. And Rabbi Nassar writes there that the, the, the highest level crying is when crying comes from joy, from incredible joy. Because the word b'chia is the Rosh Hashanah of b'shimcha, yegilun, kol hayoyim. Now we know that Rosh Hashanah <coughs> is called Yomim Noiroim. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur are called days of awe. And the world knows these days as days of seriousness, days of judgment. 
And that's one of the reasons why we go to the tzaddik for Rosh Hashanah, <clears throat> because when a person goes to court, they want to have a lawyer with them. They want to have their lawyer with them. They want to make sure that they're being defended properly. So Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are very, very serious days. And yet, it's possible for it to be combined with a simcha. It's not a contradiction. We find that the Pasuk says in the Navi, that the Navi Nehemiah says to the Jewish people on Rosh Hashanah, eat fatty meats and drink sweet drinks and do not be sad. Because joy with Hashem, that's your strength, that's your power. And a person who is to be part of a Breslov Rosh Hashanah especially will experience this incredible combination. What, what we describe, like they, they say about Lag Boimer in Miron, that in, inside, close to the kever, you have people crying with broken heart, crying for different Yeshuas, crying for the tzaddik to, to help them in whatever ways he can through his tefillahs, etc., etc. And outside, people are dancing and celebrating like the greatest Simchas Torah. The, the, and, and it's not a contradiction. And in the, in the Rosh Hashanah in Breslov, we have a similar type of thing, that it's, it's a combination of people expressing deep regret for our mistakes, all the mistakes we made throughout the year, all the things we've done wrong, all the things we need to correct, and how much expressing our yearning and longing to come close to Hashem, to come close to the tzaddik, and combining it, combining it with a feeling of joy and ecstasy over the fact that we believe in Hashem, that we believe in Sadiqim, that we're privileged to be able to say these words, to know about Rosh Hashanah, and to be able to be trying to perform the mitzvahs of Rosh Hashanah as best as we can on our level. Any questions? Question, which Likutimran was that for Shavuos? It was chapter 65 in the first half of Likutimran, which is based on Rus, on, on a few sentences in Megillus Rus. The next paragraph, <clears throat> Rabbeinus are told that once there was a person who was very wealthy and he sat in a, a large store with all kinds of merchandise and thieves came and robbed, robbed him. They robbed all the merchandise and everything and he went down tremendously. And he gathered up whatever, whatever he had and set up a, a stand, you know, to try to do whatever he could. And started, started over again, bought merchandise, and again became a store owner, a storekeeper. And once again, robbers came and robbed him and took the, the rest, everything that he had left over. He tried again a third time, and he took the, the little bit that he had left over. He took some of his wife's jewelry, 
and, and again, established a small business and a store to try to support himself. And robbers came again and robbed him until Mama, she lost everything and his house was empty, empty. He went and gathered up, collected up a small amount of money and bought some small merchandise trinkets and went to the villages, walking around to the villages like poor people who are carrying around all kinds of trinkets with, with needles and little tchotchkes, you know, to, to sell. And he would go to the villages in order to provide just bread for his house. And he would trade with the, with the goyim there. He would trade his little trinkets for, for chickens and eggs, the way poor people do. One time, he was leaving one of these villages, and he had a little bit of his merchandise with him, and a little bit of food, and a robber came along riding on a horse with two, two large sacks on the sides of this horse. And the robber wanted to rob him, and he started crying and pleading with him that you don't know that I was once rich, I had business, and now I have nothing. Look, look what I have, I have nothing, leave me alone. And the robber didn't care and took whatever he had and left him with nothing. And he just went crying and crying tremendous bitterness because it wasn't enough what he went through before that from such a high level to go down to this kind of level. And then suddenly he looked up and he sees this robber fell off the horse and he's trying to get up, trying to get up. And the horse rises up and tramples him with his feet on his head. And now the robber is dead there. And this person that he robbed went over and he sees, he sees that this person who robbed him is dead. And he opens up those large sacks that he had on the sides of the saddle of the horse and he sees all the merchandise, all the merchandise, all the wealth that had been robbed from him in all of those robberies before was all there. And he went back home and he became wealthy again like he was originally. Rabbi Mosenzal says, I did not hear this from Rabbi Nizal himself. I heard it from others who told it over in Rabbi Nizal's name. And if I know I, I can't necessarily understand what Rabbeinazal necessarily really meant, <clears throat> despite that, it seems to me that in, in this story that Rabbeinazal told, there's an incredible hishaskus, an incredible encouragement to every single person on all levels, that even though each and every one of us goes through challenges and we make mistakes and we do damage, we do things we, that cause great losses to us, spiritually, financially, sometimes in all kinds of different ways, <clears throat> where a person gets robbed and they take away from the person, you know, everything he has. And, and a person tries again to make a comeback and they, he gets robbed again. And it, it happens multiple times. Person should never give up, never give up. Because if the person will look to Hashem, and cry and plead and beg Hashem to see his pain, to see his suffering, to see his struggling, <clears throat> in the end, the robber will have a complete downfall 
where he will not be able to get up again and the person will be able to retrieve all of the holiness, all the goodness that he was robbed all of those previous times, he'll be able to get it all back and return to his wealth and to his eternal goodness. <clears throat> this is an incredible, incredible message. This is the famous outcry of Rabbi Nassau of Ein Shum Yush Ba'olam Cloud, that there's no such thing ever for anyone to give up, anyone, anyone. The Gemara tells the stories, I've mentioned this several times. We know that the, the, there are three sins in the Torah, which the, the Torah tells us a person should allow themselves to be killed rather than to commit these sins. Idol worship, adultery, sins with women, and murder. And the Gemara gives us examples in all three areas. Idol worship, we're going to be reading on Shavuos. The holiest day of the year, in a certain sense, is the holiday of Shavuos. The day of Matan Torah, the day that the whole, the whole world was created for this special day. This is what completed the act of creation, <coughs> was Shavuos. And the Torah portion that we're going to read is Parshas Yisroi. We're going to read about the most outstanding idol worshiper of all time, who was able to say about himself that he worshipped all the idols that were available. He said, Now I've come to recognize that the Hashem of the Jews is greater than all of the other ones. And Rashi points out that he knew all the other ones. He was involved with all the other ones. And he is the one in his merit. When he came to recognize Hashem, it's in his merit that Hashem said, now we're going down to the world to give the Torah publicly, to give the Torah to Klal Yisrael in public, in front of the whole world, in Parshas Yisroi. Note the Torah portion that we read is Yisroi, <coughs> and in the Megillus we read Megillas Rus, to show us how much Hashem values when those who are far from Him come close to Him. This message that's being broadcasted on this holy, holy day of Shavuos, Murder, the Gemara tells us, the Gemara in Gitten, when it speaks about the Churban Beit Samikdash, the Gemara speaks about a butcher, Nevuzaradon, the butcher, who came and he saw a puddle of blood bubbling. And yes, he, he saw that this was not something natural at all. This was unnatural. And the Jews were ashamed of this because this was the blood of Zechariah Hanavi, who had told them, that if they continue the path that they're on, there's going to be destruction and everything. And they murdered him. <clears throat> and he asked, what is this blood? And they told him it's sacrificial blood. They were ashamed to say that they killed their own prophet. <clears throat> and he said, it's sacrificial blood. Bring me sacrifice. I want to see. I want to see you bring sacrifices. I want to see it dance like that. You better tell me the truth. And they were forced to admit what he was. So he thought and realized, I guess he's looking for revenge. I'm just the right person. And the Gemara tells how he murdered <clears throat> hundreds of men. Again, in those days, there weren't machine guns, there weren't cannons, there were swords. Had them sliced to pieces. Hundreds of men <clears throat> waiting to see if the blood is going to stop bu bu bubbling. It didn't. He said, bring me women now. Women, hundreds, slaughtering, slaughtering. Didn't stop children. Bring children. 
hundreds, kept doing this as much as he could, as much as he could. And then he cried out, Zechariah, Zechariah, I've killed the best of them. If you want, I'll murder all of them. And that was when the blood stopped bubbling. And the Gemara says, he said to himself, this Roman said to himself, imagine for murdering one Jew, there was such a punishment, there was such revenge. Imagine what's going to happen to me for what I did. And the Gemara says he took off his, his royal garments, his, his robes and everything. <clears throat> he went and converted. And from him came forth <clears throat> leaders in Klal Yisrael, from this Nevuzaradon. That's a murderer. Then <clears throat> the Gemara tells us regarding adultery that there was a Russia Elozer ben Dordaya, who the Gemara says there was no price that he wouldn't pay <clears throat> for a woman who was available to be bought. And the Gemara says one time he heard about a woman who had to cross seven bodies of water to get to where she was. She took a very high price. Gladly, no problem. He travels, he goes, he pays her, and he's about to commit this sin with her. And she sees that he's a Jew. She recognizes that he's a Jew. And she makes a comment to him, <clears throat> You're just like the breath that leaves my mouth. Just like the breath that leaves my mouth, once it goes, it can't go back. You could never go back to your people. And hearing this come from her, this struck something inside of him. He got dressed, dressed and left and went into the forest. And he pleaded, he pleaded with the mountains, please pray for me, say a prayer for me. And a basco came from heaven saying, why should we pray for you? We'll pray for ourselves. And he cried out to the trees. He made attempts to ask all kinds of others to pray for him. Each time a miracle, a voice from heaven came and said, why should we pray for you? We're praying for ourselves. And the Gemara says in Avodah towards the beginning, <coughs> I believe in that area, that he said to himself, I guess it's, it's only up to me. And he put his head between his legs and he started crying and crying and crying to Hashem until his neshama left him. And the Gemara says, when his neshama left him, a basko came forth from heaven and said, Ashrecho Rebbe Eloso Ben Dordaya, <clears throat> that you're entering, your soul is entering into Gan Eden now. And the Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi heard this Baskoil, and he said to his students, Yesh koina oilamoy b'sho achas. I see it's possible for a person to acquire oilam haba in one moment of tshuva, one real moment of tshuva, sincere moment of tshuva. And not only that, but they called him Rebbe. They called him Rebbe. Could you imagine? I believe the Arizal reveals <clears throat> that he was a Gilgal of Yochanan Kain Godel, who had worshipped Hashem in purity for 80 years, and all the way towards the end of his life, he, he made a mistake, he erred in a certain way, and he had to come back and go through this type of thing and go through this type of tshuva, I believe that's who it was, and in, in, order, to, in order to correct, to finalize, to finalize, to complete his neshama, that kind of a thing. But there's, there's so much we don't know. We have no idea who we are. None of us are in this world for the first time, the Arizal says. 
We've been here many times before. We don't know why we go through certain things, why different people go through different challenges, financial challenges, health challenges, all kinds of different things. We have a mission. Our mission is to get to the finish line. Our mission is to serve Hashem, to do mitzvahs and meisim toivim. And, and we're running a gauntlet. On the way, we're getting hit from all sides. The, the trick is for the person not to stop. People know when a person's running a gauntlet, if the person stops, it's all over. The person stops, and as long as the person keeps going, they get hurt, they get it, but they get to the finish line. People read stories of Holocaust survivors. We can't imagine how it's possible, how it's humanly possible to have endured things that they endured. Somebody was just telling me recently that when we're out in the cold, when, it, when it's cold for 10 minutes, a person's freezing. They're, they're so uncomfortable, like uh, every, every second feels like an hour. Picture, picture people going through this months, months in winter, in Poland, in Russia, freezing cold, no jacket, no coats, no socks, no shoes in many cases. How is it possible? How is it possible? The answer is, the Gemara says, Ein dovor There's something that's stronger than cold. It's stronger than everything and anything in the world. It's called rotsang, willpower, desire. People had a desire to live. They had a desire. They wouldn't give up. They wouldn't give up. And, and they survived. And the Nazis are in the toilet. They're in the toilet in heaven. Recently, it was the art site of Ramosha Sherer. I don't know if everybody saw it. I'm sure not everybody saw it, but many people saw it. Ramosha Sherer was an outstanding person. He was the president of Agudas Yisrael in America for many years. And he said that there's a, a, a story that he'll, he'll never forget his whole life. And he said that he was sitting in his office once in downtown Manhattan, and he was sitting with Mike Tress. These were two of the major leaders of Agudas Yisrael at the time. And one morning they're sitting together and talking, and suddenly the door opens up, and, and a man walks in, and he said he never saw anything as horrible as this man. It was a bag of bones with skin over it. No meat, literally a skeleton, a walking skeleton. And the man walks in and closes the door, and he says, my name is Beirach Rubinson. And they look at him and they say, how did you get here? And he said, I came on the boat yesterday. I was on the first boat that got out, that came to the United States. And I wanted to come to Agudas Israel. So I'm here. And he starts telling them that his wife and all of his children were murdered by the Nazis. <clears throat> and he came here and he's here now. And he says to them that the, the only thing that allowed me to survive, he says, my consolation, the only thing that consoled me in all of my suffering, everything I went through, was that the words of the Torah, that's what gave me life. That's what gave me life. And he began singing a tune. And Rabbi Shashira said, I'll never forget that tune. 
It was so beautiful to, to see this man singing this tune. And, and he, there's a second part to it. Zaydim helitsuni admoid. Evil, wicked people made fun of me. They mocked me to the highest degree. But I didn't deviate from your Torah. I never turned away from your Torah. And he started singing this over and over. And then he took both of their hands, the hands of these two men, and he, and he started dancing with them. They started dancing a circle. And they started crying. These two men started crying. They're holding the hands of this skeleton, skin and bones. And they're looking at this person who lost everything, everything. But his faith is so strong, so powerful, so, so powerful that, that he's, he's, he's surviving. And they said to them, they said to each other afterwards, there's no question in the world that this person is going to rebuild. And sure enough, he ended up, Rabbi Moshe Sherat tells it in the, in the video, <clears throat> he ended up getting married, remarried, building a beautiful family, children, grandchildren. And then somebody asks him, do, do you know anything about where he came from? He says, yes, he was from Poland. He was a Braslava Chassid. He was a, one of the Braslava Hasidim, and his emuna was just incredible, incredible. How it's possible for a person to have gone through all of this and remain so firm, so loyal. We're not talking about denial. People talk about that this is not denial. A person didn't deny anything. It's true. They both are true. The, it's true that the suffering was unimaginable. It's true that Hashem is perfect and Hashem is good and Hashem, everything Hashem does, Hashem knows what he's doing and I'm alive, I have a mission. And he proceeded, he was one of the founders of the Breslov Shul in Muncie and his children are active, incredible. I know my father, Rav Rosenfeld, and him were connected, he was I believe he was at my father-in-law's wedding at the chuppah. There's a picture of him standing there by, by the signing of the ksuba of my father-in-law at the time, Zechman of Rocham. We see what, what emuna and what rotzayim can do. So if ever today is Rishchidosh, in Rishchidosh, <clears throat> we know that on Shabbos, we say, <laughs> we say it in Shmon Esrei, we say it in Kiddush, we, that, that word, rot and rotzain, love and desire, will. And on Rosh we say it again, we say it twice in the beginning of Shemayin Esrei there. <clears throat> and when you learn Rabbeinu Zasvarim, every time you say that word, it's supposed to remind us that there is this magic inside of us the term rotzain is another word for the Hebrew soul, the nefesh, the neshama. We know that in, in Parshas Chayisara, when Avram Avinu says to the Bnei Ches, if you're willing to allow me to allow me to bury my wife, im yesh es nafshechem, esmesi, and Rashi says on the word nafshechem, ritzainchem, if you have the will, so we know that the, the will of a Jew is something that's infinite, it's boundless, 
and nothing in the world will destroy it. We see today what Kal Yisrael is going through <coughs> throughout the world. And in Eretz Yisrael itself, the persecution from the enemies around us, the sheker <coughs> of the Arabs from the surrounding countries, the Arabs inside of Eretz Yisrael, and worse than that, the Jews inside of Eretz Yisrael that are anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic Jews, <clears throat> waving Palestinian flags and, and incredible things and calling religious people bloodsuckers, you know, <clears throat> the, exactly the kind of terminology that the Nazis used in 1939 to prepare for the Holocaust. <clears throat> but we believe the Munashlema, that the Rotzain, that if those people who believe in Hashem, if those people who believe in the Torah, will remain firm and devoted, loyal to Hashem, and be able to put aside all the nonsense and just continue generating mitzvahs and ma'asim toivim, good deeds <coughs> toward in our relationship with Hashem, Torah and Tefillah, good deeds towards each other to make sure that there is no hate, no negativity between each other, but to try to do whatever we possibly can to help each other we believe that the good is going to win out. The good is going to win out. The Pesach says, Hashem. You, Hashem, are always on top, always exalted. The Gemara says, Your hand will always come out on top. In this game that kids play, to see whose hand is going to, Hashem will always come out on top. We're going to be reading Megillah Srus. The Zohar Kodesh says, that the Geula begins from Pesach and is completed on Shavuos. All of us should be mispalel, that Hashem, Hashem, we, we don't know how much more we can take of this, that Hashem should put an end to all the suffering of Kral Yisrael and the whole world. We should be zeichet to see the Geula Shlema, the Binyan Beisamikdash, Memhera V'yameinu, Amen V'yameinu. Any questions, please, before we close? Rav Nassan, good morning, good afternoon. Question with the story with Bayrak Rubinson. Um, to Hillem over here. In Rav Nassan's opinion, would we say they only had Amuna? They only had Batachon? And we're sitting here and we have much more Gashmias. That's why we can't relate. I mean, how, how do you make a person like, like Bayrak Rubinson? How, how do you get your child to be Bayrick Rubinson? I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to understand because I don't relate to this. And Rachmanel Slan, if I, I don't understand how he went through mild Gehenna and then he was doing a recoup once he got off the boat. I, I'm trying to understand. The, the answer is it's a combination. It's a combination. It's, it's the most important component is Emuna. And the way that a person gets emuna is from tzaddikim. And the fact that this person was zeichet to come close to Rabbi Nachman, to learn Rabbi Nachman's forum, to be with Rabbi Nachman's students, to daven and Rabbi, in, in the breast of Shul, <clears throat> he acquired a level of emuna that's, that, that was able to carry him through this, that was able to carry him through and, and to, to come out of it alive physically, alive spiritually with a desire to start with a desire and will to build again, that kind of thing. And in terms of us and our children, it, it requires 
the emuna recently has become a little bit more popular in the Jewish world. <clears throat> Until 15, 20 years ago, you didn't hear any discussion about it. Recently, there are books coming out and all kinds of rabbis teaching about emuna, 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 but the real masters of emuna are the tzaddikim. They are the masters of emuna, and they're the ones who have the ability to teach it the best through, <clears throat> through their teachings, through their students, the, to, to give over a level of emuna to a person to be able to handle what, what, what people without that level of emuna couldn't handle. Now, Rabbi Nachman writes that emuna without das isn't enough. A person needs das. This person, Rabbeirach, obviously learned Torah. We're talking about a combination of Torah and tefillah, emuna and das, proper das, proper. And uh, in our generation, it's not so easy to, 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 to find schools that are giving it over properly. And unfortunately, very often parents are busy they don't get a chance to talk to children about emuna to really be able to give over what real emuna is. I know that I had an aunt, my my father's brother's wife, who came from a very wealthy family in Poland, and all the great rabbis, when they would visit the city, they would stay by her family because they had servants, very wealthy. And when she went, they went through the Holocaust and lost everything, lost everything. Everyone in her family was murdered except for her. And she said she came back to her house, to the house, her parents' house. She was wearing a very thin dress and it was in the middle of the freezing Polish winter. And she knocked on the door and the Polish neighbors that they had lived with for years <clears throat> had taken over her house. And she said, can I please just have a coat because I'm freezing. I just, if you could just please give me a coat. And they said to her, get away from here. Otherwise we're gonna kill you. We're gonna murder you. Luckily she left. There were many others who survived the Holocaust, went back to their home and got murdered there. There are many stories like that. She left, she ended up getting married, living a very difficult life having two children, both who passed away during her lifetime. Two sons, both illness, uh, a year apart, a year apart. An older son who was in his 20s, 24, 25, who was found dead in his bed, and, and a younger son who got spinal meningitis, who was in a yeshiva, top yeshiva in Tel Aviv, complained, he's in pain, spent 30 days in Shari Tzedek Hospital. She didn't leave his bedside for 30 days. And he passed away. And, and she retained, she continued to live afterward. They, they, her husband and her opened up a shul in Yerushalayim here called the Maimon Shul, a well-known shul in the neighborhood of Itri. They bought two ground floor apartments and named them in memory of the two, two sons. And the shul, they, she would clean the floor. She would sweep and clean the floor of the shul herself. She didn't want anybody else to do it. No one was allowed to buy, pay for anything in the shul. <clears throat> they paid for everything in the shul, no selling alias or anything like that, as long as she was, she was able to. The last years of her life, she couldn't see, she couldn't hear so well, different stories. <clears throat> and I remember I was once, 
I, my, when we made Aliyah Teretz Yisrael 35 years ago, I, I adopted her. This is way before, before the, the kids passed away. I'm sorry if my, it might have been right after. I, I don't remember exactly. We adopted them as our parents in Israel because my parents lived in America. We would go to see them every year of Shabbos. And, and then when after both children passed away and then her husband passed away years later, many, many years later, and, and then I would come to make Kiddush for her on Shabbos. And then one time I decided to speak to her about Hispoidus, about speaking to Hashem. And, and I, I, I began talking to her and she looked at me like I was from the moon. She said, who, who else do I speak to? I always speak to Hashem. I speak to Hashem always. You know, she looked at me like incredulously. And you could tell that this is what, this is what she, here again, superhuman, way beyond anything we could imagine, you know, that the power of Emuna and the whys, yes, why, how is it possible that such people could go through such difficulties? There'll come a time when we'll have answers for all of our questions. But one of the things that we glean from these stories is that we have untold strength. All of us have untold strength. We plead every day. There's a feeler that we say in the morning, Hashem, please don't test me. Don't test me. I'm not looking for tests. One of my rabbis, Remichel Dorfman, used to say, Hashem, the previous generations, they were powerful people. I'm like a fly on the wall. You blow on me and I'm finished. So we, we don't look for tests, but the tests that we have, we need to know that we definitely have the ability to, to, to succeed. to Emuna, to Tfila, to Simcha, to Yeshua, to the Gula Shem.